You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You were not made to make excuses. time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. What is going on, everybody? This is your boy, Nathan Crankfield, the host and founder of Seeking Excellence. And super excited today. I got my man, Jarrell, with me. Jarrell, I've wanted to record with you for a long time, man. So it's great to have yeah, you. How are you doing? Same, same. I think it's been a long time coming, right? That's right. That's right, man. I remember um, when I first learned about you. It might it might have been um, during um, the pandemic when you were putting out um, that series on being black and white. You're, you're yeah. thinking. I think one of your parents is black and one of your parents is white. And you did yep. that, that um, collaboration. Was it with Life Teen or? Um... Uh, I did some stuff with Bobby Angel at the time. Okay. Got it. Yes. Yeah. So I yeah. think for some, I, I um, dove into your content and started following, but I think there was also another time that I exchanged a DM with you because you had a Xavier uh, shirt on or yeah. something. Um, but yeah. And then, and then, just random um dialogue back and forth so yeah i super appreciate the, like this whole time it's just you know like i've been learning a lot <laughs> i've been learning a lot so yeah but uh it's awesome yeah. yeah it's so good man it's it's great to talk with you and i'm excited to to discuss a bunch of stuff today i think we have some good stuff planned um but first would love to just give you a little you know some time to introduce yourself to people who might not know much about you cool um well uh my name's Jarrell. CSON, and I am a father, husband. Um, I have a, a one-year-old who's going to be two. Her name's Ava, Ava Grace. Um, Ava in Hebrew means life. So in my head, at least life and grace. And then have a four-year-old named Isaiah. Um, and that was um, from the Old, Tef- Old Testament prophet, of course. Um, so what else? Um, been married for going on nine years in the summer. Um, what else can I tell you? Uh, I love gardening. I picked up gardening. I've always wanted to be a gardener. Like, you know, I have, I like, I guess had my first like faith experience in high school and I just had this fascination with, with all these things linked to the Bible. So like carpentry, you know, mm-hmm. and then also, um, uh, gardening, Jesus always uses these like metaphors with wheat and grains and mustard seeds. And like, there's, got to be something there. And I started in the pandemic and, um, dude, my mind is blown by the, like the lessons that I learned from, um, from plants, you know, uh, yeah, wow. faith lessons and life lessons that I learned from plants, you know? So, and I, I have this weird 
I guess like affinity towards it because I feel like Jesus talked about it all the time. You know, right. um, if, if you have faith, the size of a mustard seed, which by the way, is one of the smallest freaking seeds that you can find on yeah. the market. Um, if you have faith that amount, then you can move mountains and bro, like um, the, the mustard seeds that turn into plants can turn into trees. It's just unbelievable. You know, like what a, like the amount of force that like a mustard seed can have if you just give it some time. So I'm a gardener, uh, excited to be in planting season because I'm in, I'm in Cleveland. So we're in winter right now. Um, what else? Um, professionally, um, went to, uh, well, Catholic, Catholic on my life, cradle Catholic, strong, uh, faith centered, uh, Filipino family. Um, mm. My parents and grandparents came over from the Philippines uh, in the 1980s, and I grew up uh, here in the U.S. Um, but you know, I'd walk down the stairs and see my grandmother praying the Rosary, and yeah, wow, I'd read read these prayer books. You know, like like these are prayer books that have like individual prayers for yeah. like peace and gr- grief and blah, blah 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 blah. You look up the one you want. She would just read it straight, like cover to cover to cover. Really, you know? wow. <laughs> be praying at like 5 a.m. So um, that was like my understanding of the faith life. I went to church every every week and went together and then uh, prayed the rosary very often. And um, um, once um, there was a, I mean, there was a, a month every, every on, in October, every October of my childhood, we would say the rosary every day. And I just remember as a child being like, oh, it's October. Like, gotta say the rosary every day, 30 right. The praying of it. So, um, but then grew to love um, that devotion and things like that. So, um, Catholic school in my life, and then um, went on a retreat, uh, changed my life, and um, never felt like I fit in and things like that. And for the first time, I felt like I found a place where uh, my voice mattered, my life mattered, my talents mattered, mm. my, my brokenness and my burdens were heard and healed. Um, and I wanted nothing else, um, except for to lean into that life. Um, so I leaned in, worked a couple of retreats and by, and then after that, um, applied for Borneo seminary in Cleveland, um, went to seminary for a year and it turned out, oh, wow. I was dating, um, a girl named Bridget who eventually became my wife. Um, and then was in ministry this entire time. So I, um, graduated and, did a year of service with the Jesuit Volunteer Corps, um, teaching um, English, math, and theology uh, in charge of the, the mass choir at Detroit Crystal Ray. Um, then went back for a master's in systemat- Catholic systematic theology. Um, applied for a doctorate program in global theology. Um, got accepted to Duquesne University on a full ride for a PhD in global theology. Wow. Um, they, but they said it was conditional based off of uh, their budget. They had a proposed budget that uh, they were going to propose to the whatever committee. And then two months, two months late, hold on, let me ignore this. And then two months later, they um, said that the budget didn't go through. Oh, wow. So I did what anybody would do. Uh, was find a job and I found a job as a youth minister. Um, so did youth minister, did youth ministry for a year. Um, that was really tough because that was my first year of marriage you know, so yeah, uh, it didn't work for the schedule. Uh, I was never with, Oh yeah. It's brutal, man. (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, I love the work and love the teens, but, um, it was really, it's like the youth ministers, like 
y'all need to give yourself much more credit than you give yourselves. Like mm-hmm. that is the hardest job I've ever worked in my life. You know, like the amount of dedication and commitment it takes to make an actual difference and impact on today's youth is, is, uh, is not easy. So, um, big thanks and gratitude to you all for your work. Yeah. Uh, so then, um, I lasted one year and then I taught Catholic, um, Catholic, Catholic theology at a all boys D one, like very athletic driven, uh, high school, St. Edward high school, um, did that for four years. I got to teach like my absolute favorite topics, the Paschal mystery and church. Um, so that was so much fun. And then I, um, came to John Carroll, um, to do ministry work. Um, so I run, been doing, uh, retreats and small faith communities, uh, immersion and mission trips, um, a little bit of liturgy. Um, um, we typically have these like, um, you know, like roles are like portioned out, but they kind of got like, um, all dispersed. We're all doing, we're all doing everything now during the pandemic, um, or like through the pandemic. So roles are a little bit different, but, um, and then in there, somewhere in there, 2015, I started living person with a friend. Um, I also started a uh, video production company doing like wedding videos because, you know, right, you're, not making, yeah. you're not making a ton of money as a minister. So you're like, Oh, if you got any talent, you got to like try to grind. You a try to use the side hustles. <laughs> and I, I think that's, that's it. You know, like it's been a really fun ride. Uh, I feel like I've lived a lifetime, bro. Um, yeah. I'm excited to, my life's calming down quite a lot. Um, and you know, I'm doing some passion project stuff, but yeah, work on being a dad. I think it's taken me four years to try to let go of some of these, like, you know, like career accomplishment things that I've always wanted. Yeah. And, you know, every year as a parent, it gets easier to, to realize the life and calling that you, that you actually have, you know, so sure. First and foremost, I want to be a father um, that creates a faith culture for my, my family, you know? So, yeah. yeah. And that's where, that's where I leave off. It's like in this midlife crisis, I'm 33 trying to figure out what I do with my life and my talents and things like that. So, right. Dude, that's wild, man. Thank you for sharing all that. I really appreciate it. Some great stuff in there. Um, and yeah, I'd love to talk a little bit more about the living person before going back into some of the other stuff. Uh, and so when you started in 2015, like, did you have, uh, like a vision or something that you wanted it to be? Cause I think, you have, mm-hmm. I think you have a definitely very like niche sort of uh, brand and like your content is very consistent, obviously. And I think that's intentional um, of the type of stuff that you share. So what was kind of like your vision or, or dream for it when you started it? Yeah. And how has maybe that grown over the years too, or yeah, changed? Question. Um, you know, like I got my master's, I got my master's and I was a graduate, graduate assistant, um, kind of like a resident minister. I was a, a lay minister uh, who was a graduate student living in the residence halls with first year students. So I was 25 living with uh, 18 year old first year college students and just being a pastoral presence. Cause they used to have a chaplain, like a, uh, yeah. a Jesuit in every residence hall. So they wanted to get at least a pastoral presence in the, the residence hall. So that was my job. I would be leading masses and I was, you know, I was, I was, I was the guy with the guitar and singing and leading worship and things. Um, but we were also supposed to, um, like start a program of our own. So there was a, there was a priest there named father H Paul Kim who had this running group. Um, and 
um, for the 125th anniversary of our school, John Carroll, he set a goal to recruit 125 people to run the uh, Cleveland Half Marathon. And everybody looked oh, at him wow. like, this is so stupid. Like, no one's like, yeah. no one's up for this. Like, it's big, like, yeah. He announced it to everybody and like would announce it everywhere he went. And the guy did it, you know, like he, but he wow. would just, he would just like look at people and be like, they would laugh at, they would laugh and be like, Oh, I can't run. And he would look at, look them in the eye and be like, I mean, you can, <laughs> you can. Right. Yeah. You literally can. <laughs> like what's stopping you, you know, like, and then he'd yeah. go, well, what if I ran with you, you know, or what if I walked with you and ran with you? So he was just really good at empowering people. Um, he, um, that was his, his, like, he would always run marathons and stuff. And his running group was called the living person. And he would use this quote by St. Irenaeus of Lyons that, um, uh, was, um, the glory of God is the human person, uh, fully alive. Yeah. At first, here's a, f- a fun fact At first, his group was called the living man. Um, and it, he would run with a bunch of other priests and then the ratio became more so like <laughs> 60, 60% women and 40% right guys and then became 80% women and 20% guys. Wow. Father, father H Paul, like, like, can we change the name? And he goes, uh, okay. Like we'll call it the living person. (laughs) So yeah. uh, man, That's so funny. So then, uh, like I have t-shirts and stuff that say living man two or living man three. And, um, father Chris Aruka gave me one of these t-shirts. Father Chris Aruka is a priest in Cleveland that ran, uh, with him a long time ago. So anyways, he started this project. He left. I asked him if I could continue his work with the living person. And he said, he pointed me, he said, yes, you can, but you have to promise me something. And I was like, sure. Like whatever, anything. He's like, you have to do it in your own way. So mm-hmm. his thing was running. And then I said, what if me and my buddy, we were going to take over the project. We said, what if we could, uh, instead of just running, we could extend it to every part of life. So I like your, like, is it seven areas of, yeah, we call them the seven pillars of excellence. Yep. So, so we, we just did body, mind, and spirit. Um, and then we ordered these cards, these challenge cards and ordered these bracelets and invited college students to change their life, to find a partner and pick an area that they wanted to change and then to, to do it, you know, Mm -hmm. but nothing of it. Um, a month later or two months later, people were, were coming back to us saying like, Hey, like I just did like an hour of silence every day for 30 days. It changed my life, you know? Mm. Oh, really? You're like, and then it's like, I just ran a 5k. I never used to run, like changed my life. Oh, really? Yeah. And I did it with my partner. And then, uh, 60 days later, two, two college girls came to us and said, like, we just went to mass for 60 days in a row. Wow. Like we didn't miss one single day. It changed our life, you know? So, yeah. We got, I think we have something here. So then, um, we tried it's our best baller. to try to put it online and it was just like, um, it's like really hard to get people to change online. <laughs> so <laughs> sure. Started just with it is tough. daily content. Uh, we did these challenges and, um, over the pandemic it morphed or no, at the beginning it was t-shirts, you know, like we did a bunch of, uh, apparel stuff because that's what mm-hmm. people on Instagram. And then, so like the actual roots of the living person have always been, um, you know, like deep and you have to like be really deep into our content. Um, but, um, then you, you're kind of left with some like, you know, inspirational stuff or mental health stuff or faith yeah. stuff or commentary stuff, podcast stuff. So, 
and it's just been changing all the way through. So like now reels is popular. So we're doing, I'm doing a bunch of reels. Uh, yeah. I've been seeing those. So yeah. yeah, that's great, man. And then you have the photography videography side too. So your stuff's pretty high quality. I'm always jealous, you know, and I'm looking at it and I'm just like, how does he do this? You know, I'm like trying to watch YouTube videos and do a quarter of the quality that you have. I got a quarter up here. Let me see if I could show you. Here's got the here's whole setup. Oh, there's the biblical commentaries with the camera. Oh, wow. That's so funny. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, it's, it's always funny to see the, the reality, right? Yeah, like what things really look like. That's cool, man. I love it. Yeah, it's been so fun. Yeah, I, I think I, I, I probably found you a little bit before the, I think I was already following you, you know, before the start of the pandemic and stuff. But uh, it's been cool to, yeah, just watch it continue to grow and to get to talk with you, you know, here and there and engage on different topics, which is, um, what I want to talk about next. Cause I'm so interested, man. Like, uh, you've, you've taught me a lot and being able to like discuss certain, we, we talk, usually when we talk, it's about like some dicey stuff, right? Like we usually <laughs> engage around about something lighter, like favorite beers or something. Yeah. You know, we don't usually get into that. We don't get to talk about favorite cereal. Who not into like the, uh, the icebreakers, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> we only go into like some of the, uh, most, um, yeah, like ruffling or uncomfortable topics sometimes, which is good. And I, I like that. Um, and I appreciate that. And I think I've come to really appreciate you too, because, you know, especially like we've seen it here and there at different times where people get <laughs> frustrated with <laughs> yeah, the dog Luna's making an appearance, people get frustrated, you know, with different, um, approaches or different people's stances within the church, um, on different topics. And I think it's so, it's always been so sad to me. And I talked about this kind of in the letters, especially in the third one of how bad we are as Catholics at having conversations with people we disagree with, you know? And so um, I've really appreciated the times where we have disagreed or seen things differently, our ability to both like be passionate about our stance, but to still like hear the other person out and to talk about it, you know? And so I'm curious, like, what are your thoughts on why, why that is like, why do you think people are so unwilling? And I think, cause we both come from like people, if anybody who follows both of us, right. Would see me as more of the conservative side, you as the more liberal side of the church. Yeah. And why do you think people on both sides? And I, sometimes I, my hypothesis is that there's different reasons, but there's also some similar reasons, but I'm curious your thoughts on like, why do you think people are so unwilling to hear opposing arguments or ideas? Yeah, I'm going to reference some of these notes here, if you don't mind. No, absolutely. I don't know if this is you, but I think I think sometimes, like, I'm just, like, more in tune with the spirit, you know, so I'll try my best to, like, this morning, I was, like, I just got off of a run, did some prayer, and, like, reading these questions, I'm, like, mm, just, like, something came to me. So this is after, like, a little prayerful moment, right. and, you know, like, the question that Nate posed to me was, what do you think are, I know, um, um shoot now i'm losing my stuff here but why do you think people are so unwilling to engage when people um you know disagree with you and then i wrote down um i think it's a hesitancy to live into the paschal mystery Mm. i told you i told you that i taught this course um for software theology the paschal mystery like i think the paschal mystery is the heart of our faith you know like that's like that's in catechism, you know, like it's the heart of everything that we do. Paschal mystery, you know, textbook definition is um, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, you know, um, a, um, a little, I guess, like mantra that I would use with my students is like, 
like what is the Paschal mystery? Well, okay, like first of all, let's break it down. It's a it's a mystery. So I'm asking, like, what is this Christian or what is this Jesus mystery? The Jesus mystery is that death equals life. That's the mystery that doesn't make sense. That's the paradox. It's the, right, yeah. it's the thing that like we're all wrestling with and should be wrestling with. That like if we surrender to death in all these different big and small ways, it will equal life. When Jesus yeah. surrendered to this whole plan, when Jesus surrendered his life three days later, okay, that's a long, long ass three days, <laughs> you know. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, it equaled a resurrection. So the Jesus mystery, the Paschal mystery, is that death equals life. Um, and that's what I would try to work on with my students. We would work on it with wrestlers and football and chess players. And like, what is that? What are those little deaths, you know, that like, well, that you need to surrender your life to, or you need to be submissive to, um, in order for you to like grow into a new creation or grow into a new life. So when we're talking about, um, disagreeing with other people, you know, it's really comfortable to be around people that agree with you. Absolutely. It feels really good to, be ranting about something that you're frustrated, which is good and healthy, right? It feels good to rant about something that you're frustrated about, or you've been slighted on something and you need to get that stuff out, you know? And if somebody agrees with you, that's a part of the healing process, right? Exactly. Yep. It feels very good. (laughs) And that's, that's how community builds. Like we, and we're nothing without community is, is what my, my perspective is. And, um, and as soon as you come across someone that disagrees with you, you don't have that safe space anymore. Um, number one, you're required to think twice. You're required to like all these things start piling on and you have to decide there's, there's takes more effort or, uh, it takes more calories. It, like, and then you have to decide, uh, like, uh, if you want to be compassionate or if you want to be bold or if you like, yeah. there's so much, there's so much to do when, so much to navigate when someone disagrees with you. Um, and to me, it really boils down to, um, am I willing to make myself uncomfortable to learn something or see another person's side? Because the thing that the thing that the other person is going to say could disrupt the entire structure of my entire thinking, you know? Right. And, And if it does, then holy shit, I got then so what? much work to do. <laughs> yeah. So much work to do. And I have so much more learning and research to do. Yep. Who wants that? You right. gotta be like really um you gotta be really invested in that like continual learner mindset. You gotta be really invested in being okay with being wrong. Um, and that takes a heck of a lot, you know, yeah. from my perspective. So, but you know, it is it's a lot it's a lot to be compassionate when you're really passionate about your topic or your issues that you're passionate about. And if there's loved ones involved, um, if there's grief involved, if there's abuse involved, Holy crap, that right. gets like really, really tough. So I don't know. What do you think? Um, yeah, no, I think that I, th- I definitely agree with that. I think the comfortability part is, is huge and people don't like the possibility of facing something that they might not like, you know, I often reference almost all the time, speaking, writing, um, podcasting. Like I love the quote from Abraham Lincoln when somebody asked him like during the civil war, um, do you think God is on your side? And he said, sir, my question should not be if God is on my side, but whether or not I'm on God's side. 
and um uh just love that and i think that's what we all have to kind of like come to and that's that should be our approach right is are we on god's side and i think what i've really appreciated when you and i are discussing things and we're coming from different sides at times or just you know have different experiences different approaches um i think it's really i think it's evident in our conversation that i, I at least hope you know and I, I think i could definitely see it from you at least that you're really seeking to be on god's side in it you know it's not just coming from so often i think within the church both the liberal and the conservative side, you have people who are much more tied to their politics at times um, than they are to the church. And I yeah. think that what I feel is that if we just seek out the truth, right. And we want what's true and we want to be on God's side, like we eventually um, we still might interpret things differently, right? Like people are going to discern differently. It's hard to root out all of your biases, but yeah. you still will still at least be able to have a much healthier conversation. If I can assume, okay, Jarrell, like, you post some things I don't like, maybe I post some things you don't like, you know, and like, but we can still both, like, I can give you the benefit of the doubt and say, okay, maybe you're not just like some, uh, you know, leftist monster that I think is trying to like infiltrate, ruin the church. Maybe I can like, you know, believe that you are like a good hearted man, <laughs> you know, that like wants good things. Um, and I can hear your perspective and then, you know, try to address where I think you might have flaws in your logic and be open to you doing the same to me. You know, yeah. but I think it just takes humility and patience to do that because especially in the social media world, because I think I saw it the most when, when you posted the thing about the booster, where it was like so many people were just like unfollowed, unfollowed, unfollowed. And I'm, I'm curious your thought on like, do you ever unfollow anybody because of their, you know, stances on things or their messaging? And if so, like, what is your point for that? Because I do think there's a point for it. Um, you know, like, obviously like I've unfollowed a lot of people for like chastity reasons, right? Like, so, uh, people like when I started Instagram, like I was in a different, much different place than I am now. Um, and so like, I was following a lot of people from like my hometown, especially women, you know, um, who just don't post a lot of, uh, wholesome content, if you will, or like some of their content is just kind of scandalous and stuff. And it's just not good for me, you know, and, and it's just not needed in my life. I'm much more hesitant to unfollow for like political reasons because mainly because of the social dilemma. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but I do like yeah. to follow people who I know disagree with me. So I follow like POTUS and Kamala Harris and New York times and, you know, places like that on the political side, but I also kind of try to do it on the church side, but there are some, like, I don't follow like new ways ministry um, because I just think that I would just be so angry all the time. Um, yeah. But what is your kind of stance on like following unfollowing the content that we consume and stuff like that? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot there. I think like, um, I, th I think that like Instagram is like, whether people like it or not, I, I just have this theory, especially like when I'm consulting with different companies or even churches, like, unfortunately, fortunately, unfortunately, like Instagram is where people, um, choose to be and, uh, are able to mm -hmm. be their most selfish selves, you know, like right. people, if people want to follow Kim K, then they're going to follow Kim K, even if it's in secret, you know, like people will do it and yeah. do whatever they want, you know, like if it, so it's one of those like really selfish things, like what, what do you want to see and things like that. So, um, I guess like, you know, like Instagram and technology is supposed to be a tool for you to, to flourish in life, you know? So yeah, I think that, um, when I think that every human being needs to analyze like the content that they're following and ask if it's making them a better, holier person or not, you know, as simple as sure. that. 
like there, there were moments where me and Edmund Mitchell, um, um, went back and forth and said, like, I think I, I told him that, um, you know, like there were, there were moments where like I would unfollow him, not because he had bad content, but because I was jealous, you know, like, yeah. Uh, and so like, it's just not what I wanted in my life. Like I wanted to be happy for him, but like he was crushing it, you know? So I, yeah, I followed because I couldn't, I noticed this thing in me of like, of like, I, it's not good for me, you know? So, and then once I got into a healthier spot, that's when I followed him again, like rooting him on and blah, blah, blah. So I think like there are different, 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 different ways in which you can like analyze boundaries or what you need or blah, blah, blah. And then follow or unfollow. So uh, to your point about like politics or like different points of views. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I am on social only to post um, pretty much for, for work or for ministry. So I try my best not to be on it for like personal reasons. Like I'm not mm. keeping up with people or um, I, it obviously happens just because I'm on the platform, but like, I don't really know who I'm, I don't really know who I'm following, you know? So yeah, sure. Uh, um, except for scrolling that, and stuff a bunch. Yeah. yeah. Except for people that I have like real relationships with, like I yeah. like, follow, I follow you. I've, I'm like following McLean right now a lot. Yeah. Following Adrian, um, Adrian, I'm following Michaela Rogers. Like these are people that I've collabed with and worked with. Mm-hmm. I'm following Sonia. I'm following Katie Prejean. I'm following, um, Jenna Gizar. I'm following like, you know, like these are people that I've, that like, I, so there, there might be like, 10 or 20 people that like, I just like because of the person that they are, you know? So, yeah. um, so, and then other than that, um, you know, my content wise, I'm trying to like consume my content through podcasts and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and you know, I have a, I have a cousin that like challenges me a lot. Like you and him remind me, like you remind me of my cousin. Oh yeah. Different like political views and stuff. And sure. Gosh, like our conversations, like we're really rocky at first, but like, you know, like as a minister of the church, like I need to know these things because like people right. are all over the spectrum and it's my job to make a student feel comfortable enough for them to have that conversion experience that I had where they can feel safe, that their, their brokenness is heard and their grief is, is, is able to be like dealt with here. And, and if I'm, just spewing one side of things right and it's not going to be a safe space for them so right uh, i feel like it's my duty to enter into these hard conversations and like that vaccine thing was a humbling moment like i needed to know that you know sure i needed to know those stories because those are the students that i'm dealing with so that's right. the moments that i'm most grateful for you know so and Absolutely. you you are one of the the key central pieces to calling it out. Um, one of my, one of my best friends, um, gave me the language like this past, I don't know, semester. I said, I said, she called something, called me out on something. I said, wow, that's, that's really good. Thanks for calling me out on that. And then she said, you know what? Like, I'm kind of over that language of calling out, you know, like we're friends, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Just being a friend, dude. She said, she said, I'm, I actually like the language of calling in. So like, like, you know, like Terrell, we're friends. And I think it's just part of like the relationship. Like I'm calling you into a conversation about like, like what you might be missing or da 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 or into right. my So rather than calling out this notion of calling in, like, I feel like that's what we're doing. We're talking and dialoguing. Absolutely. So, yeah. 
Yeah, there's so much to that, man. And I think, you know, one thing that it, it going back to the vaccine one too, where like talking to you, it was just so much more clear. I think both of us were able to express like, I think just one thing that dialogue does is it allows me to be like, all right, if I was Jarrell, like maybe I'd feel the same way about this that he does, yeah. you know? And I think so often we get to this point where it's like, I can never imagine, uh, you know, feeling that way. And I think that I, I try to bring that to conversations because I was, uh, you know, very liberal at one point in my life politically, I was once non-Catholic, you know? So I don't find it like inconceivable as many like conservative Catholics do to be like, how can somebody think that? Whether it be about abortion or same-sex marriage, whatever it is, you know, like I'm like, you you have to understand that people have just an utterly different framing and different experiences, you know? So when you talked about, you know, the issues with COVID in your family and like what your wife experiences as a healthcare worker and all these different things, like, it's like, okay, like it seems a little bit more reasonable that you would simply post asking people to consider getting the booster and people acted like you were like, you know, championing, like uh, calling out the bishops for not, uh, pushing for vaccine mandates across the country. You know what I mean? Like, um, and it's like, dude, that's not what he said, you know? And while I, you know, don't want to get the booster and I'm not encouraging people to get the booster, I don't need to hate you or unfollow you because of this. And maybe I can actually see exactly what you're saying as somebody who tries to speak and reach to a broad audience. I, I want to understand what people who are, are super pro vaccine are thinking and why they're feeling that way. You know, I want to understand why people, and I'm not putting you in this camp, but people who are pro-choice, you know, what they're thinking and why they are, are feeling that way. I don't want to get to the same place that I criticize leftists for being, where they have no understanding of conservative values or ideas because they never hear them. They shut them out. They scream over them. I don't want to be that person. And I think so oftentimes, especially amongst conservatives, we see ourselves like wanting to become more like the left in order to like play the left's game. And it's like, don't be like that, you know, like let's be Catholics like remove the the political titles, like Catholics should be able to under like the whole, like to, in order to evangelize, like discipleship, you have to be willing to hear somebody's perspective and try to coach them along to where you think God is calling them to be right. Like yeah. with the discernment of the Holy spirit, with the guidance of the Holy spirit, the words of God himself, uh, you know, like allowing him to speak through you um, to do that. And it's like, if you can't do that with somebody who is pro booster shot and like, can't handle them, like sharing their, <laughs> perspective and their experience and having compassion for like the pain that they've gone through and what they're experiencing, then like, you're not going to be uh, worth shit when it comes to evangelization, <laughs> frankly, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or at least you'll just be preaching to the choir. You know? Exactly. Yeah. Which is it necessarily helpful. You're not really adding to the numbers, you know? Well, it's like, I, like we were talking before, like it's easy and it feels good, you know? Um, but I, I think like what you're talking about, like requires a lot more. It requires a lot more courage and requires a lot more like humility and patience. Um, and that's the game that, I, that's the game that I want to play. I want to, I want to, I want to use my time and talents to reach people that don't think like me, you know, like, and like, and that's how, that's how you were doing it. And like, gosh, like we, we ended up creating something you created, you ended up helping me create something totally new in my life. Like that's, to me, like what the Paschal mystery is all about, you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah. 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 I think it's a beautiful um, comparison there and talking about just like the mystery of our faith and how, yeah, there's like an unwillingness to enter into the mystery or to have some uncertainty, you know? Yeah. I, I also love the quote there. I know I always get this one wrong because I don't know the exact words, but it's like, it's the mark of an educated mind or an intelligent person to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it, you know? Mm -hmm. And just like what that takes to be able to do that and to even read opposing literature and things like that. Like I'll tell people who agree with me on topics that I'm reading 
you know, Democrat stuff or, uh, you know, very, very leftist or liberal authors on different topics like race and um, gender ideology and things like that. And it's like, cause I want to understand, like, I don't, I don't, I'm not like scandalized by it the same way I am like tempted towards, you know, sins of the flesh or whatever, when it comes to, uh, you know, scandalous people on the internet, like I'm not afraid that I'm going to, you know, read this and be convinced that I'm going to put pronouns in my bio, like against my will, you know, like, I think that I can like listen to what they have to say and not be like, I'm not Catholic anymore. There's certain people who can't, right? Like I wouldn't give it to a 14 year old Catholic who's struggling with Catholic identity, but I'm like, I'm not that person. Like I'm just in a different place and that's okay. You know, to actually listen to people who different, uh, different ideas. But one thing I want to ask you about, this is something that's really perplexing to me, especially as I've made this kind of transition in my life and conversion from being very Democrat to, or, or being very liberal, let's say, to being more conservative and kind of along that same time have gone from, being like less orthodox in my faith, I would say to more, a little bit more orthodox and like liking tradition and a little bit more orthodox liturgy. Um, it, and, but I also had like this heart for service too. Like I've gone on like four foreign mission trips. I was in the army, obviously got to do a lot of great stuff in Afghanistan. Um, and it just kind of like lived a life of service there and still like volunteer in my parish volunteer. We're leading a retreat this weekend, uh, Emily and I, um, in Denver. So we're leaving today, which is going to be really fun, but, uh, with high schoolers, but I'm always intrigued, man, by this, like, combat. I, I feel like, like, a lot of people look at it as, like, uh, you know, um, like, left and right or conservative and liberal within the church, orthodox, not orthodox. But, like, I'm really intrigued by how I see this kind of, like, tie to those who are more orthodox being less service-oriented and those who are, like, very service-oriented being less orthodox, and I'm always intrigued by that. I'm just curious because you you had a lot of like experience with like the Jesuit volunteer corps and things like that. Like, what is your perspective on that? Why do you think that that is? I, I think it's just so interesting to me that it's so common. And I, I, I see the issues with both sides of it, right? Because like, I love orthodoxy and I think that Vatican II has some beautiful stuff. But if you read the documents of Vatican II, often it is still like encouraging a very orthodox liturgy, you know, like it's not this like freestyle, like straight circle churches that we saw come alive in the sixties and seventies and eighties. Um, like that it's, that's not really what the Novus order was, at least from my understanding, like intended to be, right. um, while it's still, you know, different from the traditional Latin mass, but like so often I see those people being kind of rigid with their time or less willing to give or less, or not less willing to give, but less willing to give up their time or less like they're just, you don't see as many trads like serving the homeless, right? You see a lot of Jesuits doing stuff like that. And then you see the issues with like Jesuits like tend to stray more away from like Orthodox theology. So like, why do you think that is where we can't have this combination of like compassion? And I think it is just kind of like the tension between compassion and truth, but I'm curious your thoughts on it. Yeah. I know I said a thousand words there, so I apologize. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I have a, a hard stop at 12. Um, so okay, I'll great. Yeah. My best with this question. And then maybe we can do a couple more if you want. Sure. Yeah. Sounds great. So um, I don't know. Maybe don't quote me on this, but my, my shoddy memory um, with some studies uh, is that orthodox, um, like I think ortho means right. Maybe, maybe like orthodontist, like you got to like write your teeth. So, yeah. Orthodox means right belief, and there's that's a contrast with um, another concept that I know called orthopraxis. So right pra- right belief versus right praxis. I mean, like we're we're Catholics, so both and like we we need right belief yeah. and right 
practice. Um, I, I don't know. I think that, you know, like I try my best to be, um, like, I, I think of myself as like a very middle of the road. Like I grew up like very, like very conservative. And then I started, um, just like reading and doing theology. Like I told you, I was on like track to the PhD. Um, so I have a lot of questions, you know? Right. Uh, and I think that part of it is that, you know, well, f- first of all, let me just say this. I think that it's really hard to be multiple things at, at the same time. So a person gets to choose, like, just like when I told you in my intro, uh, yeah, my name's Jarrell and I'm a father. That was intentional. You know, like, right. Yeah. I, I figured, one, yeah, I saw that in the notes. I was like, I love that. I chose one thing. Um, so, um, and that's really hard to do in like, uh, bro, like, like that's really hard to do when you got like all of this to try and fit in, you know? So like our tradition is both. And, yeah. and I think inevitably we get categorized into one side or the other when the reality is like, you know, even in politics, most people are somewhere in the mix of in yeah, the between the two. Um, and especially with like pundits and influencers, we like, we categorize ourselves and then people like we, we categorize them, you know? So yeah, I think like Jesuits get like the, the, the category of like liberal, but like, like some of the, je- some Jesuits that I know are the most conservative um, priests right. that I've come across, you know? So um, it, it just depends on the person, you know? So I, I think there, that there's an element of that in that. And then I also think, um, uh, let me think here. I think, um, well, maybe I'll just leave it at that. I was going to go into this thing of like, of, of service versus like a service versus like, like social justice. Um, like, mm. like there's a, there's like a, a spectrum of, of like, of social change that I guess I want to talk about a little bit, you know, like when you think about traditional service, of like that I did in my Catholic school, high school and grade school, like we went to a homeless shelter and we gave them a sandwich. Um, and that, that for lack of better terms, fixed an immediate need, you know, right. It didn't fix the problem. Sure. Um, so or giving the fish versus yeah, teaching yeah. the fish kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Service service from my standpoint is like um, it meets an immediate need. If you, if you need to go tutor someone in the inner city, um, you tutor them and they get through the test. Okay. But like band-aid solution. Right. And doesn't fix the fact that they needed extra tutoring in the first place or yeah. So then I think social justice gets into like some really murky, mysterious waters where there's just all yeah. uncertainty of like, wait, why, why the heck is this hung guy hungry in the first place when in Cleveland right. we have more resources than we could ever imagine to feed everybody. And why the heck does this person need tutoring when we have more resources and money to, so then it gets into politics and gets into like policy and yeah, so, absolutely that gets really tough, you know, like, um, when you're talking about faith. So, yeah, well, I don't have a ton of answers. So I, I think- yeah, no worries. I, I just curious your perspective. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. One of my, I, I keep like, I feel like I'm sharing all my favorite quotes today. I didn't plan on this, but hey, another one of my quotes that I really love is, and this is like, I think ought to be offensive to everybody. If I feel like it's more offensive to liberals and I want to expand on it. So one of my favorite quotes is if you're young and conservative, you don't have a heart. If you're old and liberal, you don't have a brain. 
And I think that it's obviously like talking in extremes. So I just want to preface it with that. But one thing that I think is really interesting about that quote is I feel like it does. I don't know if it's just because it ends with being old and liberal, but I feel like the idea to a lot of conservative Catholics that I find uh, uh, troublesome is, or problematic is this like almost rejoicing at like on their side. It's like, oh, if you're old and liberal, you don't have a brain as if like having a brain is better than having a heart, hmm. <laughs> you know? And I think that we are the both and faith, as you mentioned, right? And so we don't have the luxury of being all heart and no brain and or, or, or being all brain and no heart. And I think that I understand that there's like this, this want to push back into the other extreme because we see so many Protestant denominations who have a very fluffy theology, right? Like Jesus is just this great, nice guy. And he just like, you get baptized once and you're going to heaven, like you're set, you know, and you can kind of just do however you want, live however you want. They never talk about the difficult topics, um, but they can be very like service oriented, you know, or very welcoming, very loving towards others, or at least like loving in the sense of, of being welcoming and, and wanting unity and things like that. Cause I guess you could go into a deeper debate on whether loving would love. I believe love does require an aspect of truth. Um, but I think we talk about that, right? Like I, I pray before every podcast to share truth with charity, right? and to speak the truth in love. And we need both of those. And I think that we have just two sides of the church where you have people who are really prioritizing one or really prioritizing the other. And where I think is beautiful is, and this is why I love, you know, having conversations with you is when you find yourself on the extreme, right? The way that Aristotle talks about like the virtue being in the middle, you know, the virtues in the mean, like you want to hear, this is the importance of hearing the people who are on the other extreme because they can help to center you a little bit. You know, like when we had, I remember our first, one of our first big ones, which we'll do another podcast to talk about some of this other stuff, but we talked about, you know, like people struggling with same sex attraction and like, it is important. Like as I get deeper into like feeling like the world is drawing further and further away from the truth and seeing people in the church to fall away from that. It's so important for me to still be reminded about like, we have to be compassionate, right? Like you can't just go off on this. Like you need to like reel that in and, and like, if you're going to write about it or speak about it, like write it out and then reread it, you know, like give it a day, like to have like some calmness. It's not the type of topic, really a lot of these political topics or social justice topics, abortion, racism, uh, same, you know, homosexuality are not topics that you should just rant and then just like push your thoughts out into the world, right? Twitter is very dangerous in these topics, right? They're not going to help an evangelization where you have 140 characters or whatever the limit is now. And yeah. you're like, uh, you know, just sending off your thoughts as they come in. You got to be careful with it. You know what I mean? I do. I do. I appreciate that. That I haven't heard that for a while. That that virtues in the mean. That's really good. Yeah. Yeah. You got to find that middle, and it's hard if you have, like you said earlier, everybody on your side is on one side. You're not going to be in that middle, and ultimately, like just us opening our hearts and be like, we want to be saints, right? And like yeah. to realize, like Jarrell, you have more theolo theological training than I do. For sure, you have more experience in ministry. And for me, even though there's things we disagree on, even though, you know, seeking excellence in the living person approach things from a different angle, you know, things like mental health or lots of different things, it's like, it's okay. Like Jarrell can still help me to become a saint, you know, and maybe I have something that I could offer and it can help him to do that as well, you know? Amen. Yeah, dude. It's so that's awesome. Okay. That's, I think, what I want. You know, I, I think that it's easy to to preach to the choir, you know, like, but like what 100%. we're doing a lot, a lot harder. There's anxiousness that comes along with it. Like yeah. what, what if like this happens or that happens? And, um, and yeah, like you have to really work at like being patient or, cause like I said, like we were, we were both, people are passionate about their, 
their thoughts, you know, and experiences. Yes. So, um, and their views on things. Views on things. So we need to, we need to do it again and figure out um, how to talk about more stuff here, but. Yeah, uh, absolutely, man. It's been so great. I, I'm very grateful. I hope that, especially for some of the people who listen, who, uh, you know, disagree with, with things that you post or, or some of your stances on things here and there, I hope that they get to see the more, uh, the more human side of you that I get to see, you know, the behind the living person that I've gotten to witness just in very small glimpses, but has been enough for me to really come to appreciate you as a man and as a fellow Catholic and the things that you're doing. So I'm very grateful for that and, and definitely look forward to having you back on the podcast uh, to talk about some of these other topics and to give a more practical example of what maybe it looks like, you know, to, to hash out some of these issues uh, in conversations with people who come at it from different angles. But um, I still think this was super helpful and, and really beautiful just to hear your thoughts on a lot of these things. And, and I just want to thank you, man, again, for all the stuff that you do and encourage everybody to still to go follow uh, to go follow Jarrell at The Living Person um, and a lot of the great work that they're doing over there. Uh, you've, you've been putting out wonderful content, man. So I'm really grateful for that. Thanks, man. Um, yeah, let's figure out part two and we'll take it from there. Absolutely. Well, thank you, everybody. I appreciate you tuning in today. If this was helpful, I encourage you to share it with somebody who you think might benefit from this episode. And like I said, go over and follow Jarrell at The Living Person, um, and we will see you at the next episode. God bless.